Before I get started on today's Mordcast, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. Reds, Pinot, Cabernet, Rieslings, uh, white wines, wine cocktails. Basically, if you're looking for it, and it's based around wine, Blanchard Family Wines has got it. And uh, the, what's more, they have their own vineyards located in Sonoma County, California. Plus, they got a partnership with a, with a great vineyard out in western Colorado that provides really, and I really had this the last time I went in there, great Rieslings. Really, really good. Uh, one of my favorite places to go in Denver, right in the beautiful Dairy Block, which if you haven't been there, you should really check it out. It's in Lower Downtown. Uh, if you're like going to, say, the Milk Market, uh, and you're just eating and you want to like continue your evening, hop down the alleyway, which is the Dairy Block, and go right to the middle, and there's Blanchard Family Wines. Um, one of my favorite places in Denver with a knowledgeable staff and just fantastic service and attentive service, and they will attend to what you need, even if you're unsure of yourself if you go in there. Once again, they are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Moisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. Uh, before I get started, I'm going to tell you a couple of exciting things happening for CSG. Uh, we got, I'm sorry, I say CSG, but the Mortcast specifically, we got a couple more sponsors coming on. Uh, one I'm really excited about, a friend of mine began, and uh, another one is an old friend, and uh, you'll be seeing them here very, very soon. Um, and we'll be, have giveaways and all that stuff. Great stuff happening at, at uh, the old Moorcast here. Uh, I'm happy to be taking this to the next level in the next couple months. Um, well, after the last uh, Moorcast, which was a somber one due to the death of Kobe Bryant, I wanted to start off February with, um, you know, really what is a great, great stretch of two games the Nuggets went on. Uh, they... Uh, had a rough, and I do mean rough, back-to-back. Started when they had to play Utah um, at home on a TNT game at 8.30 at night. Uh, and had to turn around, fly to Milwaukee for a 7, 7 o'clock uh, Milwaukee time, or excuse me, a 7 o'clock game, mountain time, uh, the next day. It was a quick, quick, quick turnaround. The Nuggets didn't get in until almost 5 a.m. And it was just... Amazing, but you know what? The Nuggets won both games, and uh, one of the, probably the best two-game stretch I've seen the Nuggets play. Considering they're missing Paul Millsap, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Mason Plumley, <laughs> and the Nuggets won both games uh, to move to thirty-four and fifteen, and uh, really in the second place in the West, and really in kind of the catbird seat um, heading into um, the All-Star break. And it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of shape up and see if players get... I I get the feeling that the injured players that will come back after the All-Star break... Uh, Gary Harris has some personal um, things he needed to attend to, which congratulations to Gary Harris. Uh, but there was more than more than just that going on. I mean, Mason, like I said, Mason Plumley is is... 
the ankle thing, you know, it may turn out to, he may be, need to rest a bit longer. But Millsap and Jamal Murray, I anticipate them being closer to ready after the All-Star break. And this nine-day nine break will really help them out. But they may be really rusty when they come back. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, the Nuggets have uh, really uh, an interesting track record the last two years of winning when they've had injured players. And a lot of it is a, uh, is a reflection of their depth. And uh, those of you astute CSG listeners, 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 listeners will know that in the last, uh, what was it, like two years, two, three years ago, Tim Connolly came on CSG with Nate and I and told us that when we were talking about the depth and like having too much depth and how to, you know, too much of this and that, Tim was very frank, and he said, what am I supposed to do, get worse players? And I think this part of that philosophy is reflecting in what you see now with the Denver Nuggets. Um, they're able to overcome, particularly what you would normally would consider crippling injuries, particularly to Jamal Murray and Paul Millsap, and overcome them because uh, they have tremendous depth. And... Uh, it helps that they have Michael Porter Jr. Um, the, uh, Michael Porter, I mean, even against Utah, you know, his stats weren't great. I think he had 12 and 12. Uh, What's his uh, stat line? 12 points, 12 rebounds, and it was less than 50% shooting. Um, in this in this analytics-driven area where people are obsessed with efficiency, I am less concerned about his efficiency. I just want him to keep shooting. Um, and his effect on this offense when he's going is just tremendous. I, it's hard to describe. When he gets going, the offense is so unstoppable. And we saw that when the Nuggets played in Memphis uh, two months ago. How, and I called it at the episode that I recorded at the time called This is the Nuggets Death Lineup. It was interesting to see him getting going for a stretch, I believe in the third quarter. And seeing how Milwaukee just couldn't deal with the absolute length the Nuggets had on the court. But the more than that, they knew that Porter was so was going to be so good on offense, you could see them not being able to deal with the change in approach from the Nuggets. And this is one thing that I really have want to emphasize to people. And I said this in a couple podcasts ago, but people are obsessed with running plays uh, because what for whatever reason they get obsessed with sets. Michael Malone, I know, wants has a tendency to fall into too much structure. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. is one of those guys you don't need to run sets for. He'll he'll just create. And I think that in the context of Nikola Jokic, one of the things the Nuggets struggled with, and they fell into this in the playoffs last year. Um, was they went into that pick and roll with Jokic and Murray, and that's all they did and because nothing else worked. <laughs> and I don't know how they went through two series. I mean, if you look back at those those two series against San Antonio and uh, Portland, the Nuggets' percentage of pick and roll with uh, with Jokic and Murray was insane. It was absolutely insane. I don't think I've ever seen a team run that many plays before like that in my life. Um, just the same one over and over and over. It was 1-5 five and 5-1. Five, That's all they were doing. And uh, 
where the Nuggets need right now needed the last well, I would say two years. Um, but what has emerged this year is having a player who can create on his own. Jamal, for all his strengths, is not that guy. Um, Jamal needs to, you know, he needs to have a ball in his hands, but he's not uh, he's not exactly what you would call fleet of foot, uh, unlike Damian Lillard and other guards like that. And he needs to he's he needs to be more creative. He needs more space. Uh, one thing Michael Porter Jr. definitely does is he provides space. Because um, he is, at this point right now, he and Malik Beasley are the best shooters on the team. And uh, what you saw in particularly the third quarter against uh, Milwaukee was their inability to adjust to Michael Porter Jr. specifically. It could dis- completely discombobulated their defense. And I think you get the feeling, and this is maybe maybe just me and my perception, but you got the feeling that they, they didn't adequately scout what the Nuggets are capable of doing. And when the Nuggets got out there, and particularly uh, when it was Wancho, uh, uh, it was Wancho, MPJ, Beasley, uh, Jeremy Grant, and P.J. Dozier, there was such size and length on the court, and it was, it, was, it was like Milwaukee had never dealt with that much size before. And the Nuggets hit a lot of threes. Let's, let's, let's not just downplay that. The Nuggets hit a lot of threes, more threes than they usually do, and that's not something that can be repeated um, very often. But the Nuggets came out and were hitting threes, but their spacing and their defense, particularly with the length, just it was Milwaukee was discombobulated, and it led to Giannis having to create by himself, which he does, and he's a superstar player. That's exactly what you want your superstar to do, which is what hope the, the Nuggets hope uh, – Jokic and MPJ are able to do, um, but you have a situation where you are a, you know, Milwaukee is is trying to. And the Nuggets went on a huge streak at the end of the third, um, once again like the Utah game, and they were able to get up out in front. And and yeah, Milwaukee fought back a little, but you could tell that they just weren't ready. And then Jokic kind of took over at the end of the game as he's wont to do. He made about three or four tough baskets. And and really just kind of salted the game away, and the the Bucks were not prepared for it. Uh, it was a big win, huge win considering the circumstances, and it was really a momentum carrying win tonight or a couple nights. Excuse me, tomorrow night they play the uh, Detroit Pistons, and considering the Nuggets have had four sets of back to backs in one month, which is insane. Um, I don't know why the Nuggets' schedule worked out this way. Um, to come out the way they have on this is just remarkable. Um, I am hard on Michael Malone. I, I, I will freely admit I'm harder than most of the media members in this town. Um, I think he has a long way to go to be an elite coach. But I will say, I will say that Michael Malone is really good at the details sometimes. And these guys believe in him. Um, it's not as if he's lost the locker room uh, ever. And when they believe in him, they're able to focus down, double down. And honestly, I, I, Adam Mars pointed this out on his podcast, and I, I will I will reiterate it. So I'm going to give him credit for this. Um, when he loosens the reins, this team responds. And sometimes, not all the time, not 
usually when he needs to, but sometimes Michael Malone is able to loosen up and understand that he just needs to take the hands off the wheel and not have such control. And against Milwaukee, that was definitely one. Now, uh, against, the, against the Jazz, he was much more controlled. They lot of, or he ran a lot of plays. Um, against the Bucks, they it was a lot more free form, and I think the Nuggets actually looked much better against the Bucks. They got down by 14 at one point, but that was the first half, and teams kind of get out to big leads in the first half sometimes, and as you've seen with the Nuggets, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it can happen, and big first half leads generally don't mean as much unless you're up by like 40 or something like that. Um, it, they, these are these are teams full of NBA players, so they they have pride and they come back and sometimes they surprise people. Uh, look at what happened to uh, the Timberwolves a few nights ago, having a seven seventeen point lead and losing. Uh, I still don't know how they lost that game with like it was like with two minutes, two and a half minutes left. Unbelievable. Um, it's it's a remarkable thing, and the Nuggets went through this stretch, and it, it was amazing. And I am really encouraged for this stretch leading up to the All-Star break. And I'm hoping that they can uh, keep this momentum going and apply it to, you know, apply it to um, the lessons they learned and keep going forward. And when they get these these uh, players back, maybe they can get even better than they are. I, I really sincerely hope so. Um, on the back end of this podcast, i got to ta- address an article that came out. Uh, in 5280 Magazine by the great, and I, and I do mean great, Robert Sanchez. Best writer in Denver, uh, has been for over a decade. Um, he, in fact, um, wrote a great article on Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf in like 2007 that I highly suggest that you look up. Uh, the definitive Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf article. Uh, I wrote one a couple years later. Um, wasn't nearly as good. Robert Sanchez uh, definitely, Robert Sanchez definitely was um, uh, hit the ball out of the park with that one, and he did do on this article too. He interviewed uh, the owner of a development company called Revesco, um, and if those of you who don't know, um, Stan Kroenke with a couple other investors bought up the land that uh, Elitches sits on. And it's been speculated for a long time where this is going to go. Um, There have been rumors for, I would say, two solid years about what they intended to do. And then there was uh, a release, I believe a year ago, maybe a little longer, no, actually longer than that, two years ago, of 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 a vision for what is called River Mile, which is just right there off of Spear, um, between where Pepsi Center is on Chopper and um, uh, going down to the Platte River, Confluence Park, there is a there's that swath of land that used to be the old Auraria uh, before the area got uh, unfortunately flooded in the 60s, and uh, a lot of it was destroyed. Um, that area has was later taken over. I'm sorry, there is a plane going over here, so you're gonna have to bear with me. Um, a lot of that area was uh, set aside for development, obviously. Um, uh, years and years ago in the 90s, Phil Anschutz and Tim Lywicki envisioned that 
area and maybe a different area as well as areas for the Pepsi Center, which eventually uh, Ascent built Pepsi Center on, which has really began the development of that particular area next to Spear Boulevard. Well, Stan Kroenke now owns where Elitch's stands, and Elitch's came into uh, existence there about the late 90s. And um, it is going to be, according to the article, it's going to be a stretch of development that features uh, affordable housing, um, two enormous um, towers that will reshape the skyline of Denver. And um, it's going to be an, it's an interesting project. Um, notable for the uh, Denver Nuggets and Colorado Avalanche fans is the fact that the area will not feature a practice facility. Or at least not one that was mentioned in the article. Um, that was a notable stand. Other than the fact that they are, uh, the, the, the development itself has tons of merit, particularly with the lack of affordable housing in Denver, uh, it is good to see that an attempt to put in affordable housing into the area. Um, Congressman Albus Brooks, to a lot of Denver Stiffs readers, who will remember, uh, attended many a, a Stiffs Night Out with Andy Feinstein. Um, he uh, formerly was the councilman uh, of that area, and he was a big, big advocate of that project. It's moved along at a brisk pace, and we will see what the future holds, but the, the development as is is quite ambitious, quite, quite ambitious. And it w- really indicates a, a development, just, I mean, on, leaving the Nuggets and Avalanche aside, it is, uh, I think, a good thing to have affordable housing near Denver. I don't know what they mean by affordable, but I'm going to take them at their word. That's what they mean. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops because... Uh, just read the article, uh, Robert Sanchez, fifty-two eighty ma- uh, mag- uh, magazine. You can read it online. It's uh, under uh, just look up Robert Sanchez, uh, fifty-two eighty River Mile, and you, the article will come right up. And it is it's a fascinating read on this gentleman who is the uh, the mover and shaker behind Rivesco and his silent partner, um, Stanley Cronkey. And uh, it's just, it's fascinating to read. And, but as far as Nuggets and Avalanche fans go, what stands out is there is still no indication that this team, these teams, have a practice facility in the offing anytime soon. And I don't, honestly don't know where they would put one, uh, particularly next to Pepsi Center. Uh, the Auraria campus is right next door. And it's it would be tough. It would be tough to squeeze one in if there is no indication, if there's no indication that a practice facility will go up on where Elitch is. Uh, so we'll see. But it's going to be interesting to see how if the Nuggets have or Avalanche have any, you know, sort of idea for the future on that, or if they will stick with the tiny uh, inside indoor practice facility that the Nuggets have, or going to family sports like. Uh, the Avalanche do. Uh, read that article, Robert Sanchez, fifty-two eighty magazine, River Mile Project. Look that up. Great article. 
All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest uh, Morecast, part of the CSC Network. As I said, exciting stuff's coming. Really looking forward to uh, this new chapter in, of Morecast. And uh, I will be having giveaways. Just, just wait and see. It's going to be fantastic. I hope everyone enjoys. Talk to you later. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.